0: Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I am Kaylee Fretz, and we're back with another weekly episode with, well, the whole crew, actually. Pretty much everybody that's been on the podcast as of late is with us here today. I'm going to go around the clockwise boxes on our little Google Meet here that we now make the podcast in. Abby, how you doing? How's your D&D going?
1: Yeah, yeah, It's great. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Shoddy Dave, how are you today?
1: Very good, yeah. Uh,
2: had an hospital appointment today. Everything went well there, so I'm right happy. Excellent
0: news. Jose, you're back home. Yeah. How are your dogs?
3: Um, they're quiet. Uh, we were on the Freewheeling Podcast last week with Abby and Lauren, uh, Lauren and my dog was tip-tapping through the entire thing, so I kind of chained her to the couch now. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably there's good. no there's no abuse going on. She's just on the couch with the husband and he's just keeping her there.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Dane.
4: I don't have a question ready for you. Cheese, Kelly. I'm on, sorry. Babe. I'm sorry. I'm still I'm just sitting here wondering if the listeners are thinking that Abby is playing Dungeons and Dragons because <laughs> you said you said D&D without any context for that. And I'm just gonna, I want to leave it that way.
0: What, what, uh, yeah, no, she is. She's working on her Dungeons and Dragons game. This morning
5: yep mm-hmm. i'm mostly wondering if at some point we're gonna we're gonna get some sort of combination of dane's hair on his head and facial hair such that you could basically take his head and invert it 180 <laughs> degrees and he would still look
4: the same i've been trimming that the beard lately, to but to this, do that. the top just keeps growing so yeah, <laughs> the fact that it's hard to trim them at the same time you know different tools for the job what's the equivalent yeah. of a bowl cut that you do for your whole head Ooh, yeah, you that'd be cool—a bowl
0: on the front or a bowl in the back, something like that.
4: I really wanted when I—I I remember being like six or seven and really wanting a bowl cut, and I, I thought it was—it was like the coolest thing. We and can still make that happen, Dane.
1: I believe that is a mirror ball cut.
4: Oh, oh,
1: Taylor Swift, Dane. We can
5: still make that happen. It could make up make some really good cycling tip YouTube content. That
4: is very true. Yeah, I don't know if I want to, you know, go that far for for cycling tips. It's, <laughs> uh, it might be a bridge too far for me. I don't know. <laughs> Well, you just heard James.
5: James, how are you today? Well, I was supposed to finally get my tooth today, and I still don't have my tooth. It's not quite perfect to stick in my head, so I'm still toothless. It's only Sad. been uh, it's only been what uh, 16 months now since I uh, knocked my teeth out in Belgium. So mm. you're going to be dark. well
2: happy. CCC isn't about next year. NTT doesn't look like it's going to be about. No worries. On the plus side,
5: my daughter's still pretty happy about it though, because I mean, she's seven, her, her adult teeth are still coming in, and she currently has a big gap uh, where her second adult front teeth uh, tooth is still just coming in. So we still match. So she's still happy about that. So I'll take that. Do you get tooth fairy money for the fake
0: tooth that you're taking out to put
5: your real tooth back in? Uh, no, I don't think I do. I don't think I do. I'm pretty sure those days have long passed. Sad. But yeah. Well, let's get into
0: today's episode. we got a lot to talk about. The Tour de France route for next summer was announced over the weekend. We've got a brief Vuelta recap. And we're going to talk about the unfortunate news that both Cadells and the Tour Down Under are officially canceled. That is a bummer. Plus some transfer news. But before we get to all of that, In the last year, we have continued to up our game, the content we're creating, especially with a massive increase in our women's coverage. And we want to keep pushing that bar forward. We need your help to do so for 79 us dollars a year. You can be part of what we do here at cycling tips. And as a thank you, if you sign up before the end of the year, we'll send you a free copy of our annual print journal, which is in production as we speak. It is, it's pretty awesome sort of a little coffee table book almost, uh, sort of halfway between a magazine and a book, I would say it's gorgeous. It's full of amazing photos. It's full of some of the best writing from Cyclotips tips throughout the year, plus a bunch of original writing. I always love thumbing through it when it shows up. And if you sign up right now for velo club, you can get it head over to cycling slash sign up, get your print annual, thanks. Let's get into today's episode Dane I want to start with the Vuelta which well had quite a bit of action over the weekend Saturday was a bit of a snooze but Sunday
4: was anything but where are we right now with the Vuelta yeah the Vuelta just finished its 12th stage uh, atop the Alta de Langleru which is of course one of the hardest climbs that professional cycling does uh, one of the hardest climbs at least that the world tour does uh, and it was a pretty good, pretty good finish there uh, on, on stage twelve on on Sunday. And at the same time, the race is still extremely close. It's managed to be really good. There's been a lot of back and forth. There's been uh, a, a lot of GC days for the first twelve stages of a race. Uh, there's been no shortage of action. It's not like uh, I feel like a lot of times in the Grand Tour you got to wait till the last week, and that has not been the case of this. Well, it's been great all the way through. Uh, but on on uh, on the Angleroo, Hugh Carthy uh, took took the, the win there. So big one for EF. Um, and just a great race so far for, for Carthy, who has moved up into third place with Primus Roglic in second now, 10 seconds back from Richard Carpas So carpas uh, Roglic, Hugh Carthy, and Dan Martin are the big four riders who are in contention right now. Uh, you know, the next rider, Enric Moss, is 150 back. And then it's people who are five minutes or more back. So we, we already have our our clear contenders for this race. But uh, it's still pretty much anyone's, anyone's game here. Uh, and the, the the big thing will be the time trial uh, which comes on on Tuesday, where Primoz Roglic is expected I think to pick up a lot of time on those riders Carthy, uh, Martin not known as being good time trialists Primoz Roglic excellent time trialists um, so lots of lots of action still to come and uh, it's still a really close race it's been a great. Vuelta so far. It always is a great Vuelta. Every year, this Vuelta is Vuelta's amazing, and this is just another really good one. I mean, it's the the, the very first day because
0: it uh, it, did, it didn't start as normal. It started on a Tuesday. The very first day was a was a climbing stage and was like a GC stage, and that's kind of set the set the scene for the entire rest of the race. It's really been it's been hit after hit at the Vuelta, and I very much enjoyed watching yesterday's race. I did tweet out at one point that they should free sep and allow Sepkus to go up the road. I then had a whole lot of people sort of. I don't, can you mansplain a man? I was getting. I feel like I was getting mansplained uh, on Twitter as to why the team would not do that. Yes, I understand why the team would not do that. I still want it to happen. Thoughts? I think that Sepkus could have won that Angleroo
5: stage personally. Uh, I just want to. I just want to mention that uh, I think one of the biggest benefits of the whole crazy COVID res- COVID rescheduling of the race calendar. Uh, one of the biggest beneficiaries of that has been the Welta because usually, in a normal year, by the time the Welta rolls around, like people are totally kind of tired of bike racing, and because everything is so condensed, people are actually kind of into it right now. It's like the equivalent of having it in where the Giro normally
0: is, yeah. Sepp Kuss, what do we think?
3: Uh, yeah, well, he is one of the guys who's up for a renewal of his contract, um, and I think it's going to be really hard for Jumbo Visma. They are now negotiating a new contract with Aert, who, of course, commercially and uh, sportively, I don't know if that's a word, but never mind. Is more important. You know, Jumbo has supermarkets in the Netherlands. They have supermarkets in Belgium, so he's the ma- the main man. And I think like either Kus or Bennett will um, will leave the team after next year. And I read somewhere that Sep Kus does not want to be a GC guy uh, because you know there's a big difference be- with becoming first and being fifth. You know the pressure that is on your shoulders is huge and i don't know if he's the kind of guy that wants it it's just like Wout pools you know he said Wout pools has been like fourth or fifth in a gc and he he said i'm i'm perfectly happy with being a domestique
0: even if he doesn't want gc leadership though at the right team he would have he would have been set free for how many stage wins this year i mean likely you know possibly a tour de france stage win uh, I think you could make a very good argument for a Vuelta stage win over the weekend. You know, he could have a, a bunch of Grand Tour stage wins you know, in his back pocket at this point instead of being stuck
4: to whoever his his GC leader is, which I think is unfortunate. As, as I said to you on, on Twitter, Kelly, I think what you're proposing is preposterous. I think um, <laughs> if your GC leader... You know, gets dropped. I think you have to drop the whole team back to form an honor guard around him, uh, and watch as he drops twenty minutes back as the camera zooms on in on his uh, sad. Tebow face. Pino style. Otherwise, what are it's we group doing? Group of my yeah. style.
3: It's what they did with Tebow Pino. Yeah. Just like drop that, the whole team. Yes. Be with Tebow, and everybody yes. loses.
0: Well, let's talk like, sort of specifically about the Anglero. Right, they're going like eight kilometers an hour. It's like a twenty-two percent grade. There is absolutely no benefit from a draft whatsoever there's a bit of sort of mental benefit of having somebody around there's also you know if he had a if roglitch had a flat tire or something you have somebody else right next to him who can give him a bike or a wheel or whatever all these other things however roglitch was was sort of doing pretty well on his own he was he was sitting there he's not really getting any actual benefit from having except there they could have had a stage win and roglitch losing the exact same amount of time as he did and he'll probably take back way more than that in the next time trial. Anyway, they could have had, you know, a red jersey and give Sep a stage win. I think, you know, let the kid go. If, if he looks like the strongest rider on a, on a stage like that, on the Angleroo, like, I can understand if there's a downhill ap- big downhill after, but there's like a, what, a 500-meter downhill at the end of it, or a shallower climb coming up or something like that. But if you've got, you know, nothing but 20% grades between you and the finish line, just... Just everyone just go their own pace, basically. That's all you can do.
3: I, th- I think Sepp koos was the first man in history who had to hit the brakes on the Angli this weekend. Right. He w- it goes down in history <laughs> as the first guy using the brakes on the Angleroo. But it's, it was said, I think it was in a press release of Jan visma that uh, Primos Rodlic thanked him for his mental support, that he really wanted Sepp to stay with him for mental support. But yeah, Boo. I'm not a pro rider, so I don't Boo. know how that works
4: pretty much is a tough guy he can mentally handle having sep go up the road and get a stage when for the team i'm i'm in full agreement kaylee i think they should have let him go what what benefit really Yeah, yeah
0: i mean it's just sort of the it's the it's the hedging the bets right like like i said if you don't or something like that but i i get it i get it you know if you're if the big team goal is to win the vuelta that's a that's a big hard goal you do everything you possibly can you don't jeopardize that in any way but still let's up go Hashtag free set. Anyway, let's move on from that.
2: Hold and on, hold on. You, you what about Bloody Hugh you? <laughs> this, is, this is a disgrace. Man from up in my neck of woods doing awesome things.
0: That was a fantastic, fantastic ride from him. Uh, we saw really, really good things from him at the Giro last year. I, I had a great chat with him in the EF team bus after the, after. what, he finished 10th or something at the Giro last year? Right up there the whole time. Kind of showed us what he could do, and that was that was a, a breakout performance, I think, for Hugh. Uh on the hardest climb in professional cycling. It's pretty amazing.
2: He, he knows how to climb. Like coming from the north, like the gradients like the road on Sunday aren't anything that's abnormal up in the northwest of the UK. In the Lake District you've got Rhino's past. Admittedly it's not they're not as long, but they are steeper. Like no, I'm not joking here either. Like, just Google. Oh, what's the grand the uh, sporty the blubber called. house? Um, <laughs> there's all yeah, plenty of blubber house, all sorts. But honestly, it's it it's steep round there. So if he he's been training up there as a young lad, admittedly he's moved abroad, lives in wherever Girona or something now. But as a young lad, he will have had it
3: had it hard training up there. So he knows how to suffer up a steep climb. He was he was one of the first. ...non-Spanish speakers on Caja Rural ever. Which was a really bold move. And he really chose to go to that Spanish team... ...because he wanted to learn how to climb in Spain. And he was pretty young and, and of course, very talented. And I always remembered him. Um, it's like, okay, that's a bold move from a young British lad... ...going to a team where they don't speak any Spanish. Or uh, any, any English at all. But yeah, he. he I, I read a stat that he got half of his win in Asturias... The province in the north of Spain, where the Angliru is, also in uh, Vuelta Asturias, so the, the terrain suits him, and um, it was a good win. It was a good win.
0: He he wouldn't didn't look comfortable the whole way up. I'll Who say would? that he actually looked yeah. He but he you know he was sort of dangling at the back of that group for a little while, and he you know if, if you would asked if you, if you were just looking at that front group halfway up the Angliru, and you're saying which of these riders looks the best, which one's going to win, it wasn't him, right? he really fought for it and it wasn't until the, the you know, sort of the upper slopes that he was able to separate himself. Uh, yeah, just a super impressive ride. And, and another guy, one of those guys that we really like to see win. Cause he's just a nice, he's a nice guy.
3: Can I, can I just one last Robert Geising appreciation message? Cause, cause Robert Geesing comes from a generation where in the Netherlands we had zero zilch in cycling talent. You know, the best rider we had was like 27th in the Tour de France and it was Mark Lotz. Um, so he came onto the scene and all the hopes of the countries were piled on to his shoulders. And he kind of succumbed to it. You know, he, he broke his leg. He lost his dad. It was always something. He had to to, to leave the Welt a few years back for a family emergency with his child. And now he just settles into this role of being the super domestique, also in the Tour de France, now in the Vuelta. And you can just see him smile all the way up the mountain. He did half of the Anglerou from 12 to, to 6.5 kilometers, and he basically... He suffered like like crazy, but he enjoyed himself so much, and he just he just loves what he's doing right now, and it shows that not everybody who has the talent to be top five or top ten in a grand tour actually wants that because it's a lot of pressure
0: very true. we're going to talk about the twenty twenty one Tour de France. The route was announced last weekend. What are the highlights? Let's go over to dane
4: yeah uh more of a traditional tour, I think. Uh, we've had two, two tours in a row that have been just kind of different. They've, they've been uh, the ASO's attempt to kind of mix things up with some hills, and, and that's been great, uh, but they've kind of gone back in the direction of what we've tended to see in years past with, uh, with a very difficult final week uh, with some really hard mountains. There, you know, There's a time trial. Uh, Mont Ventoux features prominently. Uh, yeah. Twice actually.
3: And a downhill twice.
4: Stage 11 of the tour is going to go up on two, uh, and then it's going to go down, and then it's going to go up again. And then there's going to be a descent to the finish, a pretty pretty fast descent, I would guess, uh, or at least a pretty steep descent.
3: But they can't do the finish on the top due to the refurbishment of the tour de front of, of the Mont Ventoux, so that's why they have to do it downhill.
0: So we are double Ventoux. We've got something like 58 time trial kilometers. As you say, Dane, It was it's kind of a traditional Tour de France course. Is this another Pogachar course, a Roglic course, a Dumoulin course? What are we looking at here? I mean, you know, we usually put these things into some sort of category. Is this one for the climbers, one for the time trialists, something in the middle? I feel like it's sort of
4: what we've seen with the Tour the last decade or so, where compared to the 90s and, and, and that period and even before it's certainly more climber friendly than it used to be, just because the tour uh, is really has gotten away from these, you know, three time trials, fifty k each uh, that we saw in the past. Uh, so, relative to now, I think it's a balanced course. Relative to twenty years ago, it's very much a climber course. Uh, but relative to now, I, I think yeah, if you're Primus Roglic, you probably like this. If you're Tadej Pogacar, you like this. If you're Egan Bernal, you probably wouldn't love any time trials. Not that he's awful at them, but just that Roglic and, and uh, Dumoulin and a lot of those guys are just better. Um, yeah to me it's sort of in the middle uh, for 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 now M- middle relative to our current state of uh, grand Tour affairs
0: any like wild short stages or anything like that they've been doing a lot of that lately
4: well they are going to Andorra again uh, which you know is famously that the scene of the uh, extremely short uh, very difficult stage from from way back but uh, yeah not not uh, it's not going to be like it, it was on that particular day. There are quite a few shorter mountain stages, and those are always good. Uh, there's a you know, 145k mountain stage, there's a 130k stage on stage 18, that's pretty short. Uh, and it's going to be a really hard day. Uh, nothing like, you know, there's no 70k uh, high mountain stages.
3: And they've got a 248km stage. It's probably the longest in 20 years, so just have a little thought for the cycling commentators having to do that from start to finish.
0: Oof. And Wout van Aert has already said that he is targeting the yellow jersey in the first week, I believe.
3: Uh, as is Mathieu van der Poel, so it's going to be epic. Alpacine in Phoenix, they have now got an invite to the Tour de France due to their ranking. So, they, so we're going to see Mathieu van der Poel versus Wout van Aert on the Mûr de Bretagne, which is uh, something that I uh, absolutely look forward to. Because, um, well, both of them can win that. And Alaphilippe to throw in the mix, you know, for good measure. So yeah, it's going to be exciting.
5: Olaf philippe has got his arms up already.
3: Sing!
0: <laughs> First week is going to be kind of defined by stages kind of like that. Murder Britannia stage, crosswinds up in that part of France. Uh, Shadi, you've raced up there a fair amount, right? It, it, tell us what it's like.
2: I used to live up in Pont TV, which is one of the stage finishes this year, I think. And uh, funnily enough, I found out yesterday it's actually uh, the town where the UCI president Le Partien was born and grew up. So we've got something in common there. Might be able to chat to him, see if he rolled for the same club as me. But yeah, the whole region is, I like to call it the Belgium of France. It's absolutely superb racing. It's probably the hardest racing in France. It's just full out. It's a, it, it's the heartland of cycling in France, I would say. And it's just up and down, windy, twists and turns everywhere. It's, it's solid racing. It does, the courses don't look anything particularly demanding on paper from what we've seen already but trust me that region it's it's not easy riding at all the road surfaces are terrible generally speaking um so that's it's going to be long draggy roads that yeah you're not going to be cruising over i'm really excited for it and then i know we're going to get to the course later because that the rate that race is held there as well, so I'll save my comments for that one in a bit.
0: Yeah, that first week is going to be all about protecting your gc rider even more than usual right we've seen first weeks like this in the last couple of years uh this week a little bit less or sorry this year a little bit less so because we had those climbs quite early this week is going to be like i said kind of defined by crosswinds by these punchy little climbs it's going to be a really tricky one to make sure that your gc contender gets through it unscathed uh, and so at like having riders like well at your side is going to be massively, massively beneficial in a first week like that in this particular region where, as Shadi said, it's super windy, the roads are bad, they're narrow, they're nasty, Uh, lots of things can go wrong in a first week like that.
3: Alan Piper of uh, Team UE, the uh, team of uh, Pogacar, already said, you know, we need classics guys. And already on this this year they had Marco Marcato, who is uh, an Italian guy who hasn't won a great deal in his, in his life, but it's absolutely vital to keep a guy like Pogaccia safe. It's a bit, bit like the same as the partnership between Oliver Nasse and Romain Bardet. Like two years ago, we had that really windy stage in the Tour de France, and, and Oliver Nasse kind of saved Romain Bardet's ass that day in the, um, in the stage. So Alan Piper said, yeah, we need more classics riders, And also, we have quite a lot of stages for sprinters next year. So some teams will have to make the decisions like, are we going to take a team that is purely focused on the GC or are we going to take one or two guys for the sprinters? And this discussion is already uh, started here in the Netherlands because of Jumbo visma and uh, Dylan Groenewegen. Because they have, they, have st- they have a Tour de France, which is great for Dylan Groenewegen, but are they going to take him? And the same goes for other teams that have both a sprint ace and a GC guy. So it's a difficult decision.
0: And Yumbo also has Wav van Aert, who is currently in contract renegotiations, right? Uh, And as we saw this year, can also win those sprint stages. So maybe they don't have to pick. I mean, you have a rider like that, you don't have to pick, right? You have somebody who can protect GC riders in the crosswinds and also win difficult bunch sprints. So should be a great Tour de France, I think. Any other standout stages? We've got the double Vontu. We've got a couple time trials. We've got Muir de Britannia in the first week. Anything else that people need to get excited
2: about? I personally would say the like, Oya oh, next to La Grand Bernard stage should be the first real sort of battleground for the for the climbers. It's relatively short, 150k. And well, plenty of it's the first time into the Alps for everybody. So yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be the first one where everyone's gonna
3: show their legs. Or at least the climbers and the GC riders. And if there's, if there's going to be wind on the c- uh, coast of Brittany, it's going to be exciting. But I think three years ago, we also had a, when the start was in the Vendee, everybody hoped for some like really windy stages and like nothing happened. So it can be a pretty boring start of sort of France. But if there's echelons and if there's wind coming from the Atlantic Ocean, it's going to be absolute mayhem that first few days in Brittany.
0: It is a question mark though. It doesn't it's not guaranteed, right? I mean that whenever you're relying on weather to make the racing interesting, you could it could go the other way. It could be super calm and nothing could happen and we could have a quite slow first week. Fingers crossed that's not how it goes.
2: Honestly, I don't think you will. Like the weather, yeah, that will play a factor in it, but I don't from living there for 3 years the weather doesn't have that much effect on the races inland, like Pont TV, uh, around that area, murder de Bretagne, for instance, it it will do if it's there. But the the lay of the land's hard enough to mix things up.
0: Shall we attempt the absurd? Pick winners a year out. Yeah,
1: or no, yeah, <laughs> no, we should.
0: I agree. <laughs> Let's do yeah, it.
1: Yeah, I agree with dean Let's we, do obviously, it. Obviously,
0: we have all the information we need at this point in time to pick winners. I think you know we know what stages there are that's that's all the information we need all right all right real quick dane since you agree with me and think that we should be doing this who's your pick for uh the 2021 tour de France obviously we will be holding you to this
4: for the next whatever eight nine months so pick wisely as long as I can change up to and including the stage 20 of the 2021 tour de France (laughs) uh who I think is gonna win I like Primoz Roglic right now I like his team he's really good uh, we, we've seen some riders uh, have, have issues after they've won their first tour. It can be hard to come back and win your second one. So uh, who, who knows with Pogacher And Bernal is kind of a question mark, too. Very much so. And as you said earlier, maybe not the best with the time trial
0: kilometers. Abby?
1: Speaking of time trial kilometers, um, I'm going to go for Chris Froome. <laughs>
5: whoa, whoa, what
1: bold Shocking. pick.
0: Wow. Wow.
5: <laughs>
0: mm okay okay uh his his tweet
1: today had me feeling emotions he tweeted something about about thank you to to the Eurosport crew for believing in him and saying that he's still got got it in him you know specifically Bradley Wiggins and he said he receives a ton of messages um from people telling him to just quit already and because of that I back Chris Froome there's no logic behind it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, it's a, it's a bold choice. It's a bold choice. I mean, you're either going to look like an idiot or a genius. There's no there's no middle ground
1: with that <laughs> yeah, video collection. Kaylee, think think back think back. You know, to when I don't know halfway through the Giro, I was like, yeah, I like the way this Theo Gegenhardt kid is looking. It's
0: true. it's true. That's true. You did say that. All right, Shoddy, what do you think?
2: I take Appis. Chris Froome, and I razor. Now Hugh Hugh Carthy is gonna get the well, we know that. But but wait 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 with me, I'm not picking him. Gui Martin, of course, isn't it? Oh of course.
0: Naturally. He's
2: getting he's, get, he's getting a few new lads on Coffee Dislex next year, including um Geschke. oh Simon Geschke. That's the one, Simon Geske. So yeah, Gui and Martin, obvious, innit? It's either Chris Froome or Martin.
0: Climbers Jersey at the Vuelta coming off a, a, you know, a confident final Grand Tour of 2020. I I think, yeah, I think it's feasible. Jose, what do you think?
3: Uh, Geraint Thomas.
0: Given the TT kilometers, that makes sense.
3: Uh, Yeah, there's, of course, a a little bit of hope for Tom Dumoulin. Um, It kind of depends on how he gets through the winter mentally as well uh, as physically. But this is the best course that Tom Dumoulin will ever find in the Tour de France. You know, no super, super steep, long endless Tour de France Alpine stages long time trials uh, a good team around him but you know he's he's got some competition in the team and is he going to go for it of course hard pick will always be Tom Dumoulin but um,
1: yeah Garin Thomas
0: James what do you think? Pass
5: James is passing (laughs) Pass
1: James (laughs) just throw a name out just any name Pass. (laughs) Pass. All right. <laughs> no, just any name. Like throw any name out. Pass. Like, you could. You pass. could literally say Taylor Swift. Pass. You can say Sep-
5: Disco.
2: <laughs> Disco
1: <laughs> Rim Breaks.
3: Disco. <then. laughs> pass. Oh
0: God. <laughs> All right, we'll let James go. We'll let. We'll let him. We'll let him pass. Uh, I'm saying Egan Bernal. I think that he learned some lessons this year. He had some back issues. He had probably some struggles with uh, stardom in many in many different ways and i think that he is going to come back fighting next year the, the 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 course is not the best for him the route is not the best for him i will admit but there's still enough there i think he could potentially do it interesting that none of us picked the defending champion nobody picked tata pagacha despite the fact that he's also very young and appears to be well this year anyway the best in the world
2: why why not why did nobody pick him Scream, my hand's betting than him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Obviously. All right. All right, that's enough about the Tour de France. Let's talk La Course. Jose, what do we have to look forward to uh, next it's, year?
3: It's longer, finally. Uh, it's about 130k. Um, and we've got six times up the Mûr de Bretagne, which is not long, but it's uh, pretty steep. So, um, yeah, we're in for an, for an epic battle. and. Um, The great thing was during the presentation on the French television, there was a short reference to the race that we are supposed to get in 2022, which is supposed to be a stage race. So I hope this is going to be the last one day race of La Course, or maybe we're going to have both, you know, have a La Course and have a a stage race by ASO. But um, for now, it's La Course and it's on the second day of the Tour de France. So um, on the Sunday, I guess.
0: Hmm. So quite early and kind of a uh, does that make it kind of a classics course? I mean six times up the mirror It's I think it's is kind of Ardennes yeah, I think it's, vibes.
3: It's, it's it's kind of Ardennes vibes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. It's like six times so, up the Cauberg yeah. and then uh, finish. Yeah, the murder is a solid, solid climb right,
2: like once is tough enough, but yeah, six times really gonna play. Just it's it's going to be very much like a, a plué race I, I would say cuz the r- race the the cl- climb at the rear end of A is shallower than the murved de Bretagne, but roughly about the same length so yeah it's going to be it's going to be awesome i'm really excited for it i'm really excited to watch Audrey Caudron win as well from trek Segafredo. She'll not the world title backer yeah, she knows the well, roads like the back of her hand. She uh, she lives in Pontevi as well, so she would have been up it since she was like five or something like that.
3: In that French national jersey.
0: Yeah, in the it's true in the French national national kit that she just recently uh, won. Who else? What are the other big names we're looking at for a course like that? I mean, it's probably going to be perhaps similar to the same names that, that showed up in the it w- in the Po version of the course last year, right? Mariana Voss. And
3: yeah, uh, probably, yeah. The um, Anna van der Breggen, Annemiek van Vleuten, of course. Lizzie Deignan, she just signed a new two-year contract with Trek Segafredo instead of the one year that we all expected. So, um, yeah, she's up for another um, two years of being pro rider, and she can do really well. Um, I think you have to look at the riders who do well in... Liege, um, uh, Fleche Wallon, things like that. So yeah, it's uh, those kind of riders.
0: Abby, any other names come spring to mind?
1: Uh, yeah, I think um, Elisa longo Borghini would be awesome for this, new Italian national champ. Um, she had an amazing season and I think she is more than capable of carrying that form into next year, uh, given that it's an Olympic year and it's one of her targets is the Olympics after her performance in Rio.
0: So this will come about a month before the Olympics, right? My, is that timing right?
1: It really, pretty much, exactly a month, actually. Yeah.
0: So it could potentially be difficult to 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 be on super good form for this, given the Olympics
1: and the Giro in between.
0: And the Giro in between, and you know, within the women's peloton, that the Olympics are certainly a bigger deal than the course, uh, quite justifiably. And so perhaps that does open the door a little bit to some of the some of the less big names. We'll put it that way. I mean riders who could focus entirely on la course as the biggest names in the sport really are focused on tokyo it's it's a potential sort of i don't know shuffling of the deck there right
1: yeah definitely i think man i agree with uh with shoddy if audrey cordon Rago won this i mean it would be tears it would be tears for an entire country (laughs) or this entire
3: region (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, about Elisa Longo um shameless plug for Abby's piece on her um, Italian national championship because that really gave me the feels. That was a, such an amazing win, and um, yeah, she is she's just such a joyful person, and she can do really well. I think she's still growing as a rider, actually, and now with that partnership with Lizzie Dykman on Trek Segafredo, they will be uh, the two riders to beat on a course like this. Or and of course, you know, van de Brege van Vleuten, the Dutch dynamite person.
0: I think time to get to some unfortunate news here. We got a little tip off on this. And in fact, I think we broke the story last week. Our own Ian Trellor did that Cadell's and the Tour Under will not be going ahead in 2021. Not a huge surprise here. Of course, uh, lots of issues with getting in and out of Australia at the moment. They're, they're, their lockdowns have been stringent. In fact, uh, our colleagues in Melbourne are just now allowed to go out and do things like ride their bikes uh on a regular basis just in the last week and there's been lots of rules uh surrounding quarantines on the way in and out of the country and so really doing a, a large international sporting event uh was just not feasible unfortunately uh as of january and so yeah unfortunate news tdu and Cadell's, which you know these are races that are sort of near and dear to us at cycling tips as a as a company that started in melbourne um not gonna be happening in 2021 unfortunately we'll move on from that last on the list today transfers we've got a pile of transfers we're deep into silly season here Abby who's going where
1: yeah so a couple of the significant transfers that have happened recently uh, Rafael Micah is going to UAE team Emirates um which is very interesting. He's been kind of the one of the GC hopefuls for Bora Hinesgrove for a bit. So him going to UAE, that'll be interesting. Uh, ben O'Connor is going from NTT to AG2R Le Mondial, which NTT again today was in the news for some potential folding of the team gossip. Um, after it was recently... There was recent speculation that they had found a sponsor, but then today their general manager said that they hadn't found a sponsor. So Ben O'Connor is one of the riders that has been able to find a new team. Seth Van Mark is going from EF Pro Cycling to Israel Startup Nation, which is really interesting. He's been a really popular rider on that team for the team for a while, but has kind of failed to deliver the results that I think they wanted him to when it comes to the classics. Um, He's going to ISN to join a really kind of wild bunch of big names at that team. With the move that Seth Van Mark is leaving EF Pro Cycling, there's also the news that EF has signed a rider, Hedito Nakane, which is their first new signing of the year and hopefully means that the team is staying afloat because we haven't really heard anything about them.
0: Well, there's been a bunch of... A bunch of uh, of renewals from that team, we should say, because they asked, I think, pretty much the entire team to, or maybe the entire team, to take uh, pay cuts earlier in the year. And any rider who was out of contract at the end of this year and who agreed to take a pay cut as sort of a thank you for taking the pay cut when they needed it, they've been given a a renewal for next year. So I think that includes uh, Alex House, Lachlan Morton, a couple others. Um, you know, not to say that they wouldn't have been renewed anyway, but they basically just said we'll guarantee renewal if you take this pay cut, and so those riders are back for next year. Lachlan Morton on his alternative program.
3: <laughs> well, th- somebody, is, uh, yeah, somebody commented on on our website on cyclingtips.com that he probably generates more interest in the EF Education First program by his weird and crazy and awesome alternative program than just like a regular dude being in a breakaway or just even a wing a stage like Hugh carthy did on sunday people love this kind of stuff
0: i would say i've actually had this discussion with uh the head of communications over there matt Bowden, who's a former colleague of mine from Velo News, and he was kind of asking like like hey, what do you guys see from traffic when lachlan does one of these things versus you know versus a hugh carthy stage win or something like that and it's pretty clear on our end granted we're you know we're we're a site that is less sort of fully tuned to racing than some other cycling sites out there but even so you know, Lachlan Morton's Everesting does many times the traffic of a Hugh Carthy stage win. And so I think that really, he, you're right. How he, He's dare probably you? more valuable. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. I think he's probably more valuable than most of the riders on that team. Basically, unless you're winning Tour de France stages or something like that, that's probably the only thing that moves the needle more than what Lachlan has put together, which is just super impressive. Uh, he's he's the perfect personality for it. He's picking interesting races, I think it's I think it's fantastic what he's done, and it does show that if cycling teams are willing to think outside the box a bit, they can they can find value for their sponsors in ways that are a little bit less traditional. And he really is Lachlan himself, is is proof positive of that.
2: I've had a little think about this previously, and I'm just wondering is are they hitting a market with Lachlan that's already there, that's already got eyes on events like this, like what he's doing that like the Three peak Cycle cycle cross challenge or um yeah. The the crazy events he does. I would say that
0: he's probably pulling audiences from all over the place. That's the interesting thing, right? Is you've got this group of people that are interested in professional racing and understand who he is from that perspective and the EF perspective. And then you've got this group of people who are who are interested in three peaks or interested in his Badlands ride or interested in whatever he's doing, Eversting. And you and you pull both of them together, right? And that's that's kind of what's so powerful about that particular that particular niche, I guess, uh, it's not really a niche because it pulls people from all over the place. Like I said, our traffic figures back this up. We can see what people are interested in. Uh, you know, people tell us they're interested in lots of different things, but at the end of the day, you know, we've got data that sh- that shows us what people are are interested in, and this is one of them. This is there's no question in my mind that he produces a huge amount of value. For that team, so I don't know. I, ho- I hope he resigned uh, with that in mind. I hope he's got a good agent and got some uh, some extra cash out of JV there because he is a valuable, valuable rider, even though he's not winning Tour de France stages or anything like that.
3: When I talked to Adam Hansen uh, a few years, a few weeks back, he he said he, t- he told me that he had been talking to Lotto Soudal if he could actually do his Ironman quest as being a part of Lotto Soudal. But the team was a little bit too traditional for that um, to incorporate him as a triathlete. So, uh, but I think E yeah, F Education First are a little bit more forward-thinking than a, a Belgian team, and uh, yeah, it's a great it's a great way how they also how they communicate it in their press releases, on their Instagram, on their Twitter feeds. It's um, it's it's such a cool journey to follow what what Lachlan Morton does.
0: That's really interesting about Adam Hansen because, yeah, it, that would make perfect sense, right? You've got – you're still bringing value to those main non-endemic sponsors, Lotto, Sudol, uh, and also to your your bike brands and everything like that. They now get to provide you with a TT bike or a triathlon bike. They get to show all of that equipment off. They get to use the, the communications tools that are already in place with the team. The fact that they already have press officers, the fact that they already you know, have the ability to get in touch with all of the media and, and put these things out there. And you just you just attract an, a new portion of the audience. I, I, I think that there's something to be said there for the sort of expansion of what these teams or how they define themselves. Granted, yet you do have, have to be careful that if you try to sort of point that in too many different directions, are you a professional cycling team anymore? And are you going to win anything in professional cycling? Because all of a sudden, your, your resources are all spread out. Uh, that, that is certainly a concern. But one rider going off and doing triathlon, I don't. If I was Lotto Sudol, I would, I would say yes to that. I would say absolutely. You can give us, you know, this this sort of toe in a whole new audience. I think that makes perfect sense.
2: I have heard on the grapevine they are allowing him to do some uh, grouting videos for Lotto Sudol instead doing some nice tiling videos showing how to put your bathroom <laughs> tiles up.
0: <laughs> Should say, was it Sudel is the grout?
2: yeah stuff. like adhesive and company <laughs> something like that clearly doing a good job at letting everybody know what we do <laughs> what they do i
0: love all the i love all the random companies that sponsor cycling uh, need some grout lotto pseudo. <laughs> there we <you> go <laughs> let's get into the rest of the big transfer news items abby what else we got here
1: Yeah, for the women, there's two significant transfers to talk about. The first is Leah Thomas, who's going to Movistar, which the reason that this transfer is interesting is because Movistar lacks a little bit of the team power that Annemiek Van Vluten is used to with Middleton Scott. And with Leah Thomas moving over there, she could be a really helpful rider for for Annemiek Van Vluten into next year. The other... Awesome transfer news is Tanel Ten- Campbell is going to Middleton Scott from Valcar Travel and Service, and she has a really awesome story. She's come up through the World Cycling Center's team and signed for Valcar for 2019.
0: Awesome, yeah, great signing. Keep a, a very very close eye on her going into next year. Uh, I guess while we're sort of on signings, we did we did we we broke this little news this morning. Um, And by broke, I mean stuck up like 10 minutes before the press release went out. Uh, Legion, which you guys have heard us talk with Justin Williams before. We've talked with Legion quite a bit. That podcast, I will say, is still coming. I've been chatting with Justin about that. It is inbound. They've been very busy this fall, and so things were a little bit delayed, but it is coming. Anyway, Legion uh, is starting a continental, UCI Continental men's team, and also is having a, a co-ed domestic elite team, which now includes Skylar Schneider and Kendall Ryan. Uh, you might recognize Skylar's name from three years at Bulls Dolman. So from the, the, the best team in the Women's World Tour, or what many consider to be the best team in the women's world tour, uh, now coming back and racing crits in the U.S. So I'm excited to see what Skyler can do. She was she's winning a lot as a 19-year-old, which is why she got picked up by Bulls uh, in the U.S. And now she's going to be back with three more years of experience and with a with a squad that's really tuned to sort of U.S. style crit racing. So yeah, two other interesting signings, and we always just like keeping an eye on what Legion is up to. They're doing some cool stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about that one. I think that's enough bike racing. It's time for Nerd Alert. Nerd Alert. Nerd Alert. Nerd Alert. Nerd Alert. Nerd
5: Alert. Nerd Alert. Nerd Alert. Nerd James, what are we talking about today? We're talking about something super, super exciting. We're talking about cardboard. Woo! Cardboard. Cardboard. More Yay! specifically, so Trek announced a few days ago that it had uh, successfully rolled out basically a pilot program starting from a few months ago that uh, involved a rethink of some of its packaging for one of its most pop, I guess its its most popular single skew bike model, the, the Marlin, just kind of like an entry level mountain bike. And uh, based on how that went, Trek is estimating that it saved 23,000 kilos of plastic from landfills, uh, which is about 50,000 pounds. And that's just in that one bike from the last few months. And, uh, the goal is to, uh, I guess they're going to expand that program to a few other flat bar bikes, basically hybrids. Uh, and then the next category that's going to get that change are road bikes and Trek sells an awful lot of road bikes. So, uh, that is clearly just kind of like a small drop in the bucket as far as Trek's total line goes. And certainly the bike industry in general, but I found that to be pretty good news actually. And I could use some good news right now. I'd never heard of the Marlin before this which i that's about- because you had not that's because you were not in the market for a you know 500 hundred dollar mountain bike or whatever that is mm. uh, i remember the marlin very well having worked at a gary fisher dealer way back in the day um oh i was like
0: a trek marlin yeah i, I remember yeah. the gary fisher marlins from back in the day and that that yep. connection had not occurred to me but yeah so that is their number one bike, and they're moving it to slightly less popular bikes as we go. Any other brands kind of doing other interesting things on this front? I mean, this, this does, you know, James, we get a lot of bikes in to test and things like that, and they often show up just covered in plastic, and, you, you know, you can't do anything with it other than, well, I try to leave it in the box and send it back to, it, back to them with the same stuff. But I assume it's getting thrown out at some point, right? They're not going to keep reusing that stuff forever.
5: Yeah, I mean part part of the part of this whole program is not just changing the packaging so that it's more recyclable. I mean, Trek is also planning to, uh, I guess they already are, um, incorporating some some dealer and consumer education into the whole thing, so that you know not only is the packaging meant to be. You know, kind of more sustainable, more recyclable, that sort of thing. But also that, uh, so that consumers and dealers know what to actually do with the stuff and know that it can be recycled. Um, I certainly have worked in shops in the past where basically just everything just got thrown into the trash. Um, and then I've also worked in shops that you know kind of sorted and and you know, recycled and and disposed of everything properly. Um, you know, actually one of the ones that I worked at way way back in the early '90s. I mean, they were doing this what you know almost 30 years ago now. Um, and, you know, recycling wasn't really a big thing. I mean, they kind of did it more as like a, almost like as a bit of like a money saving thing because we used to pack bikes a lot and like he would just save us from buying packing material. But, um, you know, like I said, small drop in the bucket. There are other companies who are moving to do this sort of thing. Um, you know, Cannondale actually has had this program in in for a little bit now. And um, I guess they didn't really make us think about it, which is kind of unfortunate because Trek kind of stole their thunder now at this point. Um, but there are also smaller companies like... Um, uh, Dave Rome wrote a really cool feature on this small company called Bjorn. Um, there's another, another small U.S. company called Vast. Um, both of those companies use pretty much exclusively cardboard for their packing materials. Saris uses cardboard for their packing materials exclusively, which is kind of shocking considering a lot of the stuff that they sell is really, really heavy. Like that huge MP1 Infinity rocker platform thing that I tested a few months ago, it's just absolutely massive. It's like, I don't know, like 80 pounds or something insane. Like that whole thing was packaged in corrugated cardboard and it arrived just fine. Hmm. So I like seeing stuff like that. I think it's a step in the right direction.
2: Uh, there is a few clothing companies I've noticed that have sort of switched from the plastic bags to either to them biodegradable plastic bags. Uh, in fact, there's a, a company here, a, a very small company I should say, here in Annecy, who not just package everything eco-friendly but make all the clothing from recycled bottles as well a little mm-hmm. company called matchy um so yeah i do know there's quite a few companies switching well clothing companies i should say switching to
1: recyclable packaging as well yeah probably zooming too but i'm pretty sure their stuff is sent in biodegradable packaging
0: yeah it's compostable you can stick it in your compost which is cr-
1: which
0: yeah wow it just looks like plastic but apparently it just breaks down and stick it in compost which is super cool
1: yeah
5: I mean, so this is all just one little, very small part of a much bigger issue that we're going to talk about a lot more in the kind of weeks and months ahead, uh, just as far as like the whole, you know, eco footprint and sustainability of the cycling industry and the sport of cycling in general. Um, You know, like one of the things, you know, we we are talking a whole bunch about racing and the Tour and the Vuelta and that sort of thing, and, you know, some people look at those... Look at some of that as like kind of like a showcase for like oh look what look what we can do with eco-friendly bikes and never mind the like literally hundreds of cars that are following the race around and you know the thousands of miles and thousands of kilometers of transfers that go along with you know buses and planes and all this other stuff. I mean it's 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 kind of shocking how big the footprint is for cycling in general, uh, certainly for the industry of cycling. Um, so it's something that we're going to look at look at a lot more in the future. So stay tuned for more on that, but. Like I said, I mean this is it, this was a, a neat press release from Trek that I thought was worth talking about. You know, even if it is just kind of a small step, it is at least a step in the right direction. So, kudos to them. And
0: from one of the biggest players, right? I mean, you know, all these small companies doing stuff is great, but it, it, it really does take, uh, you know, a Trek, a specialized uh, uh, Cannondale, like you said, has already already started it because they're just moving so much more volume and there's so yeah, I mean, much stuff. I mean, just the fact they have one one bike. And they've already got fifty thousand pounds worth of plastic that they've saved. Like that's that's pretty incredible.
5: So. Yeah, and, and and Trek is a billion dollar company, and you know the, their long term goal is to have all of their bikes shipped in this, you know, kind of lower footprint packaging, but also just have all of their packaging across their entire product line. You know, clothing, accessories, components, whatever, everything use uh, everything shipped in you know certainly more eco friendly stuff. Um, like I had a wheel set show up a few weeks ago, or I guess a couple months ago now, um, and it it arrived in just the most insane ordinately done, granted cardboard packaging, but I mean, no joke, the cardboard was probably four or five times, maybe even more times heavier than the wheels that were actually in it. Like you could, you, you pulled the wheels out and you picked up the box and you still couldn't tell that the wheels, the wheel was out of the box. So... I, I would love to see pretty much everyone move in this direction. I mean, I, I understand that that sort of thing likely costs maybe a little bit more money and you know requires a little bit more effort. But I mean, it'd be nice to see companies just not taking so much the easy and quick way out for this sort of thing. And just it'd be nice to see some effort put into it.
2: Do you think long term as well uh, that brands will stop this uh, whole, I suppose it started with Apple packaging an item so it's an event opening it like for instance Wahoo their packaging's absolutely lovely it's an event when you're opening it there's little gate folds to get inside but there is a lot of packaging there do you think long term we'll see brands like that starting to go right yeah it doesn't the product itself's an event you don't need to have the packaging to be an event to get to another event another another gimmicky little thing
5: well, I mean, if you want like it just be like a big Russian doll sort of thing, like you can take this one little thing and package it in like 19 other boxes, right? So you can just sort of like have the whole <laughs> unboxing thing over and over and over again. Woohoo, another box, another box, another box.
0: That's the Amazon um, Prime method where you yes. get like this giant box in your outside and then it
5: turns out you've got like a tube or something inside. Right, there's like one one toothpick in it. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I don't I mean, it's it's hard to say, I mean, it's it's a very very big issue and there are all sorts of different issues to, to touch on on this subject i mean just yeah you know, like i said packaging is a small thing but you know it's just the the idea of just sort of the, the consumption in general and the, the footprint like the recyclability of different materials you know like production of carbon fiber and aluminum that sort of thing like it's it's an endless endless rabbit hole but we're, we're going to start diving into it all right keep an eye out for more of that i think it's time
0: to wrap up today's episode hope everybody enjoyed Chat about the Tour de France, chat about transfers, a little bit of cardboard investigation. As always, thanks to our Velo Club members. If you want to support this podcast, support what we do, head over to cyclingtips.com slash sign up. If you sign up before the end of the year, you get our big annual print journal. It's awesome. You will love it. So go do that. 79 bucks. $79. US dollars. Thanks in advance. All right, we will be back next week. Bye, everybody.
5: Bye, bye.
0: Bye.